Good morning. Today's gospel reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can it neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch withers, and such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let the people say amen. Our second New Testament reading today comes from the epistle, of first epistle of John. We don't know for sure whether it was written by the same John, but it certainly came from the same community, because in many ways, all three epistles that we call first, second, and third John are elaborations of the themes of the Gospel of John. So hear these words from chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent His Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God, so we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because He first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from Him is this. Those who love God must also love their brothers and sisters also. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray.
Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, for you are our rock and redeemer. Amen. I heard an old song this week that has been running around in my head ever since. It was one I secretly liked after first hearing it growing up, although I really couldn't admit that to fellow fans of Led Zeppelin in Chicago. The song is What the World Needs Now. The opening lines, as some of you may recall, are what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing there's just too little of. The writer of the letter of we call First John may well agree about what the world needs now, but sweet is not the first word he would use to describe love. No, when it comes to love, John begins with God. God is love, we just read in First John 4. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. For John, love is not some abstract concept. It is passion expressed in action. God's action in Jesus Christ. And when you consider not only Jesus' life, but also His death out of love for our sakes, then the first word you would describe such love is indeed not sweet, no, the love revealed in Jesus Christ is something more like powerful, gritty, suffering, sacrificial, merciful, amazing, awesome. Indeed, when it comes to that English word love, writers and speakers of the English language are at a disadvantage when compared to 1 John's first audience who primarily spoke and wrote in the Greek language. Our English word love can be used so broadly and frequently that it can lose its meaning. I mean, think about it. We talk about how we love a spouse or a child, for example, but we can also talk about how we love a book or a favorite musician or the Phillies or chocolate ice cream, all using that same word, love. The Greek language, though, as some of you know, has multiple words for love. For example, there was eros, the love that describes the mutual attraction of romance. Philia was used to describe the love of friends. It is the basis for Philadelphia, brotherly love. But the word used exclusively to describe God's love is the word used here in chapter 4, agape. Agape is a love that gives without expectation or requirement of that love being returned. Agape is sacrificial love. The love of romances and friendships, as special as they are, they are always a mutual love of equals. There's mutual attraction, mutual give and take. I love her because of her eyes and because of her kindness, we might say. Or I love my friend because of the way he's been there with me every important time. In contrast, agape love is love regardless, love despite our lack of worthiness. In Jesus Christ, we see a love that is unconditional, 
A love that is willing to give and sacrifice, not because, but despite our sins. God is love, agape love, which means that everything that God does is done out of such unconditional love. God created us and all of creation out of love. God redeems us in love, a love that is willing to lay it all on the line on the cross for our sake. And the hardest part, perhaps, for some of us to hear, God judges us in love, which means that God judges to refine and purify us and to rid all in us that is not love. That is why we need not fear God's judgment, not that we won't be changed, because there's something to be changed in all of us, but because that change comes with love. God is love. We are loved fully, completely, unconditionally. In Tattoos of the Heart, Father Gregory Boyle described a late-night conversation with a young man named Cesar, who he had known all of his life. At the time, Cesar was a menacingly looking young man, hadn't just spent four years in prison. A member of a gang, he was now trying to start a new life, and he had nothing to begin with, not even clothes. And so he asked Father Boyle to take him to buy clothes, which Father Boyle did. And then Father Boyle dropped him off at a friend's where he was sleeping on the couch, the only place he had to sleep. Later that night, at 3 o'clock in the morning, Cesar called Father Boyle. Did I wake you, he asked. Father Boyle thought, why, no, I was just waiting and hoping that you'd call me at 3 a.m. That's not what he said. What he said instead was, how can I help you? Cesar was sober, Boyle writes, and he said to me in an urgent voice, I got to ask you a question. You know how I've always seen you as my father ever since I was a little kid. Well, I have to ask you a question. Have I, and then he paused, been your son? Oh, yeah, I say, Father Boyle writes. Phew, Cesar exhales, I thought so. And then he started crying. And amidst the tears, he said over the phone, then I will be your son, and you will be my father, and nothing will separate us. Right? Right. Boyle reflects in his book, in this morning call, Cesar did not discover that he has a father. He discovered that he is a son worth having. The voice broke through the clouds of his terror and the crippling mess of his own history, and he felt himself beloved. That is what we all need to feel. And this is what the writer of 1 John wants us to know. We are God's beloved. We are loved fully, completely, unconditionally, each and every one of us, as is each and every one in the world created by God. This is where love starts. But this is not where love ends, because such a love is too wonderful to keep to ourselves. God wants us to share that love. Indeed, God commands it. 
Here, 1 John makes a connection many of us would just as soon not make. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who did not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they cannot see. What 1 John is saying here takes time to absorb. To say that God is love means that God cannot help but be relational. In other words, as holy as those moments are on a mountaintop or watching a sunset at the beach, the way, according to 1 John, that we draw closest to the God who is love is that when we are engaged in loving others. And not just those whom we may love romantically or as family members. That is, those who love us back, but also those who require a broader and deeper love, a harder love. Those of you who are parents, do you remember what it felt like when you first became parents and how all of a sudden you had a whole new insight into the love your parents had for you, even as imperfect as they may have been? So it is with loving others. The more we learn to love those who are hard to love, those who cannot or will not return what we give, then we have more of an understanding of how God loves us. Because God loves us even though we can never fully return that love. God loves us despite our sins and our need for forgiveness. And God loves us even when we're not grateful for that love. Loving others, especially those who are hard to love, draws us near to God in another way as well. When it comes to those who are hard to love, as you know if you've tried it, we need a perspective and a power beyond our own. We need God's help. And as 1 John puts it, we need to abide in God and let God abide in us so that we can draw from a deeper well and find the grace and compassion that we otherwise would not have. Because loving others can be hard work. And with some people, it can be almost impossible. But with God, the impossible can become possible, even though it may take all of our lives to do it. But this we know in heaven, on the other side of that judgment, we will be loving all as we are fully loved. Loving God and loving others is like the spokes on a bicycle wheel. If you think of God as being the hub at the center and the spokes being other people, the more we love others, the closer we draw to God. And the closer we draw to God, hopefully it's the easier we find or the more power we find to love others. There's one, at least one more thing we need to say about God's love. And that is that God knows us. God knows us and from the inside out, and God understands us, God gets us. God knows everything about us, and God loves us, no matter what is there at that center. 
As a father told his son, we don't just believe in a God who hides behind the ramparts of heaven. This is not a casual God who inquires from time to time about how we're getting along. This is a God willing to share our common human light, lot. He knows the secret recesses of every human heart. He understands fully our sin and sorrow and suffering. He knows what we're really like. He knows all those things, and yet he loves us. If we're going to love others as God loves us, then we need to try to know and understand them. To be sure, we're never going to be able to love and understand others as fully as God does. All other human beings, even our spouses, even our closest friends, there's still something of a mystery to them. We never fully understand them in the way that God understands them and understands us. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. To understand and to love others, then, particularly those who are different from us, means a lot of listening and empathy. Sam Richards is a sociology professor at Penn State. His class on race and cultural relations draws about 750 students every semester. What Richard seeks to do in his class, he says, is help his students step outside of your tiny little world and step inside the tiny little world of someone else. He's also given TED Talks on the theme of a radical experiment in empathy. Years ago, several years ago, he was given that talk in the midst of the Iraq war. And he invited his audience to imagine what it felt like at that moment to be an ordinary Muslim living in Iraq as war raged around you and your household. Across the world in Iraq, one of those ordinary Arab Muslims heard that talk. Basim Ratso was a middle-class engineer working for a telecommunications company in Iraq. He was so struck by the professor's talk that he dashed off an email to him, and they began a friendship by email and text and then by Skype. In 2012, Richards had Razzo talk to his class on the internet. And that on-screen appearance and Razzo's own empathy was so impactful to the class that that became a regular feature of the class each semester. Until September 20th, 2015. The year before that, in 2014, ISIS had taken over Razzo's city of Mosul. Life became very difficult for him, although he and his family were not political and tried to stay out of it. A nephew was beaten up because he dared to wear a t-shirt that had English words on it. A grown son decided it would be safer to move to another place, but Razzo had no place to move to take his family where all of them could live. He lived in a house that if you saw a picture of it, which was in the Philadelphia paper a couple of weeks ago, it looks like a house in Gilbertsville or North Coventry. On the night of September 20th, 2015, that house was bombed by the U.S. military. The bomb killed his wife sleeping next to him in the bed, killed his daughter, his brother, and nephew and left him badly injured with a broken hip and foot and a badly injured back. 
At first, the U.S. military claimed that the suburban-looking house was an ISIS family to make car bombs. Of course, that was not true. Later, it was admitted to be an error. Richards reached out again to Razzo. They kept up their relationship from afar, even as Razzo moved to Turkey to have multiple surgery, and even as he grieved the loss of so many loved ones. Eventually, Razzo spoke again with a class via the internet. The students were so moved that they take up a, took up a collection among themselves to help him fly to the United States. And earlier this month, on April 8th, he arrived on Penn State's campus. He spoke over 75 minutes to the class. The 750 students were wrapped, one observer noted. No texting, no solitaire on laptops. He talked about his family, about what life had been like before the U.S. invasion, and since then, about his efforts to have the United States officially acknowledge that the bombing of his house was an error, and about his feelings that he did not hate or blame Americans for what had happened to him. He then encouraged students, though, to see other parts of the world, to see and feel as others do. And then he said, empathy made me meet this guy, as he turned to the professor. And then he told the students, I believe in empathy. You have to put yourself in the shoes of others before you do anything. Friends, we are loved by a God who came in Jesus Christ to let us know that God has put himself in the shoes of others, our shoes. That God knows us and understands us and loves us. And we're called to let such a love flow through us and out to others. A love that seeks to put ourselves in the shoes of others before we do anything. That was what was tried in a Penn State classroom earlier this month. It is what we will be trying to do on Sunday mornings in the community room in May, and I hope that you'll be joining us. But in any case, it is the call we are all called to follow by Jesus Christ. Maybe this is why that song would not lead my head this week. Because indeed, what the world needs now, what we all need now, is love, sweet love, God's love. Let us pray. O oh Lord, help us. Help us to fully absorb your delight and love for us. And help us to share that love with others. Those who are close at hand and those who are far distant and more different. And help us to put our shoes in others' feet. And to love others as you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our feet in other shoes. <laughs> Let us stand and say what we believe imperfect as we are. With the words from Philippians that you'll find in the bulletin.
Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess to the glory of God, Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And let us sing together hymn number 335, Though I May Speak. <laughs> 